coming to you from Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 13th of November, 2022. Done on purpose, Gideon. I'd like to continue our series on things done on purpose. God uh, lays out for us in his word many such occasions where he says, this was done for a purpose, and then he tells us, what the purpose is. Today we're going to uh, explore a familiar story of the Old Testament, a great Sunday school lesson story, and uh, draw some principles from it and uh, hopefully be edified by the application. Have you ever planned to accomplish a task and had to uh, see what resources you had and what resources you needed. Maybe uh, also some personnel, if it was something that was a bigger project that it required some other people. And if the thing was important, you would especially look for qualified people, the best that you could get, if it was something that you were responsible for you wanted to make sure that it, it worked like you wanted it to work and accomplish what you wanted to accomplish. You wouldn't look around and go, I'll just take whatever I get. Not if you cared about how it would turn out. We're going to look at uh, something that God does and, and speaks to our lives. And the story is the story of Jeru Baal. How many know who Jeru Baal is? Gideon. It's Gideon, right? According to your notes, right? Well, somebody picked up the paper. That's good. So let's go back to Judges chapter 6 and look at the circumstances and uh, the story of of Gideon is found in chapter 6, 7, and 8, one of the judges of Israel. If you remember the cycle of Israel, the people would walk with the Lord, and then they would leave him behind and go on and do their own thing. And God, in his loving mercy, <laughs> doesn't sound like it, but he would send in enemies to give them a rough time so that they would cry out to him again, and then he would send a judge, and then the judge would deliver them, and they would restore back to fellowship with God, and then the cycle would continue and repeat. And we see that repeated over and over in the book of Judges, and we're in one of those cycles in chapter 6. It begins with, the story of the Midianites who had uh, been oppressing Israel. And scripture tells us in verse 1, Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. For seven years now, the, the Jews in the land had been experienced the persecution and the oversight and the destruction of their very life 
by the Midianites. What kind of thing do, were they doing? Well, we're told in the first uh, six verses that they would come in every year just about the right time. What time was that? Oh, when it's harvest time. You put in all the labor. You have, you have planted your crops. You've taken care of them. It's time now to harvest and reap the benefits. And in would come the Midianites and they would just clean them out. He said they would camp in verse 4. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no substance in Israel and no sheep or oxen, ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels would not be counted. There were so many so that they would lay waste to the land as they came in. And that Israel was brought very low because of Midian. That's a terrible situation. But God has, has done it for a purpose so his people would see how much they needed him. In verse 7 of that same passage, it says, And when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord says, well, finally, you paid attention. <laughs> and he says, I led you up out of Egypt. I've given you this land, and you turn your back on me. What do you expect? And I said to you, I am, not, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. But God heard their cry. And he was going to send a judge that would deliver them from the hand of the Midianites. So we read then the call of Gideon, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 6. And the angel of the Lord came and sat on a terebinth at Orphrah, which has belonged to Joash while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I don't know if you caught that. Where was Gideon? He was in the winepress beating the wheat to get the grain from the wheat. Where did you normally do this? On the hilltop where the breezes blow. So the chaff could be blown away and the wheat would fall and you would gather it up. But why didn't you do it up on top of the hilltop? Because the Midianites might see you. And so where is he? He's down in the wine press. And it says, to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Well, you are so brave. How come you're not up on the hilltop? Now, I don't know if the Lord was just speaking with tongue in cheek, but I think there was something else going on here. Gideon was withstanding 
what the Midianites were doing because he was trying to beat the wheat for them to consume for themselves in opposition to what the Midianites would require of them. And what happens then with Gideon? Gideon says, I'm your man. I'm, I'm the guy. You want the very best of the very best? You're looking at it. Is that what he says? No. Look at what it says. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened? You've never said that to the Lord, right? You never had something going on in your life that you wish wasn't going on in your life. And you say, well, God, have you forgotten me? Have you abandoned me? Have you, have you left us? He said, and that's what he does. He, he comes back at the Lord. He says, and where are all his wondrous works? Their fathers recounted to us. We've heard stories of old, but boy, we haven't seen anything recently. He said, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us to the hand of the Midian. And so he's telling God what exactly is going on. And he says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And you go. If we're going to plan a campaign against the Midianites, who are too many in number to even be counted, who are we going to pick to lead us? The Lord says, I've got my eye on you, Gideon. And Gideon goes, if you were thinking of the 12 tribes and which ones had power and influence, Manasseh would not come to the top of the list. And he goes, and I am of the household of Manasseh and, and I'm not even the top dog in my family. And you want me? You want me. But lesson one is one that you're familiar with, but I'll give it to you anyway. He says, the measure of an individual is not their ability, but their availability their availability. Lord wasn't picking good old Gideon because he was overly qualified for the job because he still was a person who trusted the Lord. And the Lord says to him in verse 16, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And what happens now is we begin a series of three affirmations. Because Gideon was so concerned about his ability to do this thing that he asked of the Lord three things. He says, would you give me a sign and show me that this is really what I'm supposed to do? Because I'm not so confident, even though you're confident, I'm not so confident. And so he asked him to wait right there. And he went to this house and he prepared a meal. He, he did some meat and he did some 
bread and he brought some broth and he brought it out to the angel of the Lord and it said, here it is, what do, you, what do you want with this? And he says, well, put the meat on that rock and put the bread on that rock and then pour the broth over it. And then the angel of the Lord touched the rock with the staff and the fire from the rock consumed all of what was there. In verse 21, the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand, touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. The fire sprang up from the rock, consumed the meat and unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And Gideon said, I perceived I've been with God. I've been with the, I've been with the Lord. I've seen him face to face now. Woe is me. So the Lord says, i got a job for you. I want you to go to where they're worshiping Baal. And he says, I want you to knock down Baal and, and take the, the wooden uh, emblems that are there. And I want to use them as firewood. And I want you to offer up an offering to me. And so... Gideon, the mighty man of valor, says, I don't want to do this in the day. Somebody might see me. So he got some of the men from his household, and they went and they did it at night. In the morning, people of town got up. It says in verse 28, And behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and Asherah was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they go, who did this? And after searching, inquiring, they came up with Gideon. And the men of the town said to Joash, that's Gideon's dad, bring out your son that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut up Asherah beside it. Joash helped the son at this time. And he said, if Baal is offended, why doesn't Baal do something about it? Hmm. If he's God and you've knocked down the altar to this false god, and he says he's God, shouldn't he be able to do something about it? Very much like another story that we know for another time. Anyway, the people were satisfied and they changed his name to Jerubal, which means basically a person who gives Baal grief. <laughs> but we still have the problem with the Midianites. The Lord had verified and affirmed his conviction to use Gideon by consuming the meat and the cakes and the broth. And Gideon had followed through by tearing down the altar. But Gideon wasn't quite ready yet. And so we come to another part of this story that we're familiar with. He put on a fleece and he said, uh, 
if it's uh, really what you want me to do, and he gave two conditions and they were opposite of each other. First one, he said, um, let there be uh, dew on, on, the, um, on the fleece alone and dry on the ground. And he got up and certainly that was it. And the next day he said, uh, don't be mad at me, but how about if we reverse it this time? And let there be dew on the ground and the fleece dry. And the Lord did that. And Gideon was affirmed that the Lord was going to be with him. We're going to skip the third affirmation to a little for a little bit. We come to the second principle. God chooses to work through those who trust him. Got to be available, but then you got to trust him. And we see this with the destruction of the Midianites. We're chapter 7 now, and Gideon is going to call for some reinforcements so they can go up against the Midianites. And uh, he, he calls them forth, and in verse 2 of chapter 7, the Lord says to Gideon, the people you have are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling... Let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. And then 22,000 of the people returned. How many are left? 10,000. 32,000 show up. 22,000. Lord says, hey, if you really are nervous about going to battle, why don't you just go on home? 22,000 go, it's a good time. We're out of here. 10,000 remain. You go, man, Midianites. 10,000. Oh, this is still going to be something. But the Lord says, ah, people are still too many. Take them down to the water. Let them, I will test them there for you. Anyone whom I say, this is the one to go with you, shall go with you. Anyone whom I say, this shall not go with you, shall not go. And so he brought him to the water. And basically a test was this. He says, you guys, go ahead, have a drink. Those that fell down and put their face into the water and drank. And there were those who knelt down and cupped their hand and got some water out of the, out of the, the river there and drank. And the Lord says, I'll take those that cup the water, and then fall down in their face. And so out of the uh, 10,000 people who were there to go to battle, the Lord whittled it down to 300. And now I'm sure the Gideon, almighty man of valor, is looking at these 300 and going, it was bad enough before. What about now? 
And the Lord says, okay, I think we got it. He says in verse 7, The Lord said to Gideon, With 300 men who laughed, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took their provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So the guys are up on the hill. Midian was down in the valley. Just how many were there? Verse 12. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance and their camels were without number and as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. In other words... There's a whole mess of them. But Gideon has one more affirmation that's coming his way. The Lord says, if, if you want, you can go down and sneak down by the tent and listen. And as he goes down, he Here's two men talking, and one has had a dream, and he's telling the other of his dream. He says in verse 13, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell, turned it upside down so the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given his hand, Midian, and all the camp. And you go, Wow. The Lord revealed this to a Midianite. And when he heard this, he worshiped. He returned to the camp and he goes, I think it's actually going to happen. So they took their sword and they took their light and it says that they were the torches were inside the jar. And he says, whatever I do, you do likewise. And when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp, the middle watch. This is they set the watch, and they blew the trumpets, smashed the jars that were in their hands, and then three hundred, uh, three companies blew the trumpets, broke the jars, and they held their left hands and torches in the right hand the trumpets to blow, and they cried out, the sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And every man stood in his place around the camp. You say, well, what's the significance of that? Well, when they would go into battle, the trumpet was often a call that was given to other troops to be moved into a position and serve. Well, Every one of the guys had a trumpet to blow. 
So the Midianites, when they hear all these trumpets, they go, if all of these are signaling, there's got to be more of them than what we see. And then they broke the, the containers and the lights all of a sudden went on in, in the watch. And they see all this and those were, quote unquote, signal fires to others. But we know all it was was the 300 guys. And then Gideon just stood there with his men around the camp of the Midianites. And what happened? They stood in place, they cried out, and the army fled. And when they blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled. And the men of Israel called out Naphtali, Asher, and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. In other words, Gideon and his men didn't strike down in that initial part of the battle anyone. God caused the Midianites to kill off each other. They were in such a frenzy. What was the end result? The end result was if I turn the page I can actually find it. that after it was all over, we read in chapter 8 and verse 4, And Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over. He and 300 men who were with him, exhausted yet still pursuing the Midianites. How many did he start with? How many were left? How many were lost? None. But we have also an accounting in verse 10, what happened with the Amorites. And it says, Amalekites, I mean, it says, there were in Horkah with their army, the two kings or leaders, about 15,000 men who were left of all the army of the people of the east who had fallen 120,000. Why this story, though, other than a kind of fascinating story? It goes back to verse 7 of chapter 2. I mean, chap chapter 7, verse 2. If you turn there, it says, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Let Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. My own hand has saved me. And that caught my attention. Because there's a similar statement found in the passage that Tom read for us when the pastor actually gave him the right passage to read. And I'd like to turn, like for you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 again 
And we'll look at this afresh. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27, it says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring nothing, bring to nothing things that are. He said there's not many powerful, there's not many uh, wise, there's not many of noble birth who are saved. There's nothing wrong with being wise or having noble birth or being powerful. That's not the point. He says there just aren't very many of those. Why? Because we might think, I I I got chosen, I'm saved because, you know, God could really use someone like me on his side. I've heard that said of, of Christians saying, wouldn't it be great if so-and-so and they named somebody famous? What if they got saved? What, that would, what would that mean for the cause of Christ? Well, I don't know what it would mean for the cause of Christ. It'd probably be good for that person, but for them... But the Lord says, he has chosen the foolish world to shame the wise. He's chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. I was reminded of the passage in Romans chapter 1. It says, when he's talking about salvation and why it depends on faith, he says this in Romans 1, 16. He says, that why, that's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the inheritance of the law, but also to the ones who share the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, there's a common theme that is talked about in Scripture where it says if you were really descendants of Abraham, you would be people of faith like he was. Not so much genetically, but people of faith. He says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He says, in the presence of God whom he believed, and then there's this statement, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that don't exist. And you go, what in the world is he talking about? Remember God has said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Why don't you come out of Ur of the Chaldees? I'll take you to a place, give you a land, and then you will have offspring and, and I'll make of you a great nation. And they got older and older and older. And the question was, how is this going to happen? Sarah is past childbearing. The likelihood of this dwindles with every day that's passing. And the, and the review of that 
is found here in this passage who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that don't exist. See, God is not dependent on what we can see. God is not dependent upon our ability. He wants our availability. And God chooses those who trust him, that's for sure. But there is another prince, principle that he wanted to develop and is found right in this passage. He says, I've done this. Why? He says in verse 30, he says, so that no one, verse 29, so no human being, being may boast in the presence of God. Or because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who because of us, wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Where'd that come from? Anybody bring that along with them to salvation? No, they were given them by God. And he says, so that is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that's a, a quote from Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 22 and 20, 23 and 24. He says, thus says the Lord, let no wise man boast in his wisdom, no let the mighty man boast in his might, do not let the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, declares the Lord. Paul is writing to the church here at Corinth. In this first chapter, he's already dealt with some of the issues. If you know anything about 1 Corinthians, you know that he was writing this book to to speak to some issues in the early church that they were having problems with, and they had already generated one thing that Paul had addressed. Some said, well, you know, I, you know, I, I was baptized by Apollos. Another goes, uh, I, I'm a follower of, of Cephas, Peter. And he says, I was baptized by Paul, you know. If you want to know who the greatest around here, then, of course, is the sanctimonious one. He says, well, I'm... You know, I'm a follower of Jesus. So I trump all of you guys. And right out of that comes this. He says, it's a matter of those things. Nobody comes with a full meal deal and presents to the Lord and says, I've got a ticket, just let me in. He says, all of us come half in hand. And the Lord is the one who gives us life, who endues us with righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Why? So that the one who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. The Lord did such great things. The Lord did this. It wasn't me. There's not a person who is saved and say, I did it. All I can say is, look what the Lord has done for me. My boast is in him. 
So why does the Lord use the Gideons of this world? Why does he use us? So that any boasting that happens goes rightfully to him and not to us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we come on this month of Thanksgiving to give thanks that none of these things were going to keep us out of a relationship with you, but none of them were either going to buy us into a relationship with you. We are recipients of your grace and mercy by faith alone. We receive those things and we praise you. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.